0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So glad you could join us on a Monday, a busy Monday already. It is many breaking stories happening across the country right now. We're going to get you up to speed on those in a second. And then we have not one, but two great guests today. We're going to start off with General Keith Kellogg. He was the former National Security Advisor to President Trump and to Vice President Mike Pence. Really, one of the champions of the America First security policy today. He's at the America First Policy Institute, embellishing and, and growing and solidifying the concepts of peace through strength by defining the American interests first. And he's going to be here to talk about Vladimir Putin. Is he sick? Is he not sick? Has Biden led from behind or out front? Was this recent meeting this weekend between Blinken, Austin and Zelensky worthwhile too late what's going on and then of course a really significant look at china we need to keep an eye on china we're all focused on the other other things going on but china is taking advantage of this vacuum in american attention while we're all focused on ukraine and russia you can rest assured china is moving aggressively in the south china sea against taiwan and we do not want to take our eye off that ball at any moment so that's a good reason why to Have General Kellogg on. That's going to be great. And then we're going to take a little run over to baseball. Why not? There was an amazing story last week on Just the News. A former scout, a baseball scout for the Washington Nationals, a major league baseball team right here in the belly of the beast in Washington, D.C. He was fired for refusing to receive the COVID-19 vaccine because he had a religious objection to it. He has sued alleging discrimination in violations of the American Disability Act and other torts. And the lawyer representing him, Rachel Rodriguez, she's the local counsel for the Thomas More Society. She's going to join us later in the show to describe why this case is so important. Sure, it's about baseball. Sure, it's about COVID-19 and the vaccination. But it's actually about a much larger issue of discrimination. Will people of faith be allowed to exercise their conscience when mandates like the COVID-19 vaccine mandate come aboard. This is a baseball story that has a lot to do with larger issues in life. And Rachel's gonna be here in a little bit to really walk us through that. That's gonna be a great one. Now, before we get started, a couple of busy and important developments on the horizon today. First up, just happening this morning, over the weekend, John Durham put it filing in. It actually got uploaded to the court system this morning so we could all see it. And basically, he is saying, hey, 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 all those guys that want to claim attorney-client privilege, that don't want to let the researchers who are helping the Clinton campaign make up oh, it turned out to be a false allegation of the Alpha Bank secret communications channel between the Kremlin and Donald Trump, we don't want them to testify. That's Sussman, Michael Sussman, and the Clinton campaign's argument. John Durham said, "Uh, not so fast, fellas. You know what? I can irrefutably show that the researchers, the tech executive, who's Rodney Jaffe, the Clinton campaign, the Perkins Coie law firm, and Michael Sussman, were working together in a joint venture. In fact, he used the words, a joint venture plainly existed here. It's a, one of the opening lines of this motion that just came public this morning. What does that mean? Joint venture is a terminology that you must use if you're trying to argue that there is a conspiracy that was going on, that multiple people were conspiring to do something, and it was in violation or contravention to the law. And for the first time, John Durham lays out that this joint venture conspiracy to create the Alpha Bank false narrative began in June 16. It then crystallized, as he said, this is his word, crystallized in August 2016 when Rodney Jaffe and the agents of the Clinton campaign met at Perkins Coie. So there they all are, all the actors together. You've got Michael Sussman there. You've got Rodney Jaffe there. You've got the Clinton campaign's general counsel. That's Mark Elias. And the co-founder of the Clinton campaign's investigative firm, that's Fusion GPS, they all met in the Perkins Coie office, and they discussed the same Alpha Bank they'd been talking about for some time, same one that they would later bring to the FBI in September saying, hey, we think Donald Trump's communicating through Alpha Bank. And at this meeting, they conspired and made an agreement to conduct work in hopes that it would benefit the Clinton campaign namely gathering and disseminating purportedly derogatory data regarding Trump and his associates, and that the evidence is going to show that these conversations were proof that there was a joint venture, that they were working together. And their goal, their goal was to create an inference, a narrative through internet metadata that would tie President Trump to Russia, whether it was true or not. And you're going to see as as the court filing goes on, Durham says that they really want to bring one of these researchers who kept raising the red flag. Hey, guys, this doesn't seem legit. This doesn't seem like we could really make the case. We haven't proven it. Somebody who's going to call into question the entire narrative that this group, including Sussman, Elias, Glenn Simpson, the whole crowd, he was throwing cold water on it. Now, at the end of the day, he ultimately participated, even though he doubted it. But there is some really good emails to... Show that this effort to come up with the Russia Alpha Bank scenario narrative was not proven. You're going to see some e- new emails. There, there was a very weak link in the approach that they were doing. That the best they could be do is look for an indirect link because they didn't have the real proof that something went on. A lot of red flags in the course of this. Investigation that broke this morning. That's up on the Justin News site, so check it out. Now, I'm also going to take you to a second story that I think is very important. Last week we talked about this, we even had Cash Patel on the podcast on Friday. But you know, the Clinton campaign is claiming that it has attorney client privilege over the Steele dossier, over the Alpha Bank stuff everybody I talked to, including the Harvard Law Professor, and by the way, Hillary Clinton supporter back in 2016, Alan Dershowitz says, that claim of attorney-client privilege doesn't have a leg to stand on. Why? First off, the Steele dossier was opposition research that was supposed to be shared publicly. You can't claim it's attorney-client privilege if your goal was, and you did in fact, share it publicly with the FBI, with the State Department, the CIA, with news media, and others. That is an important part that, let me read you exactly what Dershowitz, the great Harvard law professor, said, it is clear as a matter of law and legal ethics that legal research intended to be made public is not protected by the attorney-client privilege. That's pretty clear. And even if it had been, any privilege would have been waived by all the testimony and other work that this group did by talking to third parties. They were constantly sharing their work product with third parties at the FBI, at the CIA, at the State Department, and the New York Times, and many other news media outlets. This is exactly it. We had many other people, Andy Biggs talked about this. In fact, made a joke that it seems like the Clinton attorneys missed that 15 minutes in ethics where they tell you that you've waived a privilege when you start leaking or giving it to third parties. That's a good point. So very important story. Check that one out. The Clinton campaign's 11th hour attorney privilege ploy likely to backfire in Durham case. It's the number one story on the site right now and I think has a lot of meat to it. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back. First up, is going to be retired General Keith Kellogg, the former National Security Advisor to President Trump and Vice President Pence, and somebody who is at the heart of continuing to grow out and to solidify and to accentuate the America First Peace Through Strength Security Policy that Donald Trump began in 2016. And then after that, we're going to bring in the lawyer, Rachel Rodriguez, for the former Major League Baseball scout, Benny Gallo, who was fired by the Washington Nationals right here in, in Washington, D.C., for refusing to get a COVID-19 vaccine because he had a religious exemption. That's going to be in a historic lowercase. case. We got to keep a close eye on that. And Rachel will give us the lowdown on that. So let's take a quick commercial break. here from our sponsors and great advertisers and partners, and then we'll come right back. First up, Keith Kellogg right after the commercial break. Thanks to our good friends at BrickHouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024
1: is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. This next guest is one of my favorites. I love having him on here. He's the author of one of the most important books of the last year, War by Other Means. If you haven't gotten it, by all means, get on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, get out there, get this book. It's one of the most important looking at the America First security policy of America. He's the co-chairman uh, for the Center for American Security and, of course, was a former national security advisor to both Vice President uh, Pence and President Donald Trump, joining me right now retired general keith kellogg general great to have you on hey
1: john thanks for having me good to be with you
0: i am so glad to have you it's uh, such an amazing weekend we saw a lot of um action the united states finally sending somebody to go meet with uh president zelensky long after boris johnson had done so and others had done so your thought of where the biden administration is and giving the type of support ukraine really needs to win this war
1: yeah, John, look, uh, I'll give you a couple of frustrations I have right at the start. You know, I, it took us a while for Blinken and Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, to get in there. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed the president didn't go in there. The second thing I'm disappointed in, the fact that they we went in the middle of the night. I wish they'd gone on a day like Boris, like Boris Johnson, the you know, Prime Minister of England, had gone. And, you know, we, you, we've got a whole lot of uh, F-15 you know, fighters that could have escorted any kind of aircraft in there and told Putin we're going in there. It, it just seems I get frustrated because we always seem like we're – a bit late to the game when we do stuff like yeah. that yeah you know like we just today we just finally named an ambassador and there's 20 other countries that have um uh already reestablished diplomatic uh, facilities there in kiev and we still haven't done it we said well maybe we'll do it you know next couple of weeks like really you know so my frustration kind of builds on there and that kind of leads in me into where i'm talking about about supporting ukraine where where it's at today you know, we're in the sixty-first day, and there's a lot of people think were thought at the time we're probably fifty-eight days further along than a lot of people had thought originally. Right. When they thought it was going to fall within about three days, well, they didn't. And and to me, we're in the third phase of this fight. And first phase was the battle around Kyiv, where um, Ukrainians repulsed the Russians, and the Russians used their top-flight units. They, these were not you know rookies that fought. Right. We pushed them out of there. Then the second one, which is not very noticeable, I think it's. I, I think it's very, very important. And that was the one around near Odessa when they the Ukrainians used these Neptune anti-ship missiles and sunk to Moscow, the flagship of the Black Sea Fleet. Now, the reason yeah. that's important is Odessa as a port city, it's the only really remaining port city they have, and I'm sure that's a target for, for uh, Putin to go after. But when they were able to use those uh, Neptune missiles, it forced them out. 160 miles because that's the range of those missiles so they're not going to have a good amphibious landing capability as long as the Neptune the missiles are there and they're land-based. Now we're into the third phase which is the fight around the Donbass. That's kind of going to be the big battle of attrition it will probably be the culminating fight. That's the one we're always talking about supporting Ukrainians and and now this is getting to be a, 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 a what I mean a conventional fight. It's a lot of artillery a lot of air that's going to be used out there. The Russians have proven to me they're not very good at combined arms, but they are very good in use of artillery. You can look at what they did to Mariupol, which of sure. course, is the destroyed the city. And we're supplying them, as some of the other allies are, with heavy weapons like the 155-millimeter howitzer, which is the biggest howitzer, the biggest cannon we have in the inventory. The frustration I have got is that, well, it is very good and it's very important. It gives us a range of about 20 miles. You add, they need to add some stuff, and I'm hoping that in the meeting yesterday... Zelensky said that to Lloyd Austin, that you you need to give us some of the high-end stuff you've got with the, the multiple launch rocket system, the MLRS which either wheel or track, because that doubles your range uh, of, of your artillery. And that's, it's going to be a, an artillery battle and a tank battle and a conventional battle. And the uh, Ukrainians already outgunned about three to one when it comes to the Russians. But if we can give them that and they give them the good intelligence because uh, our stuff is actually, I believe, better than the Russian stuff. Then what happens is you've kind of leveled the playing field, and now the Ukrainians, using the great Kurds that they have and the, the great units that they've got, can can fight this to, a, to at least a reasonable stalemate or at least a victory. So we've got to give them that. Uh, I still don't know why we haven't given them the MiG-29s or helped to pull them, get them those 29, uh, but we're giving them artillery. We're giving them air defense systems. We ought to give them the high-end uh, UAVs that we have. Instead of the switchblade, which are good, we need to make sure we give them the real high-end stuff like Predators. So, you know, John, we're kind of almost there, but we seem to be a step slow. It always seems to be like we're reacting center. We're afraid of escalation. Yeah. We're, we're worried about what Putin's going to do. He should worry about what we're going to do. You know, his army's already been pretty well savaged. His army is not that big. It's around 200,000. That are, that are good, and let, unless he starts calling up conscripts by right. law, which he'll ignore, conscripts aren't supposed to fight in, in conflict outside of Russia. but uh, his units have been pretty badly damaged, so uh, this is the time to really lean in. You know the guy who escalated this fight originally was Putin. He's the one start started the fight. I think we can help Ukraine, and, and because of that, if we help Ukraine, it's going to help NATO and the rest of Europe because'll we'll have dis- his, his army will then bled out, and I think that's where you want to go.
0: Yeah, that's clearly it. The, now, there's been some speculation over the last few days, and even some in the U.S. Intelligence Committee, that Putin's ultimate goal is to create a, a east-to-south land bridge that would allow him to also go into Moldova if he wanted to. Do you think Moldova is in any danger right now, or does Russia have enough on its hands with Ukraine already?
1: Yeah, I, I think there is. I think it's a good point on Moldova because the, the uh, eastern part of that, is actually operated and occupied by some Russian forces anyway. Right. It's like a breakaway. Now Moldova is not part of NATO, so they don't aren't under, under the NATO umbrella. They are self-declared neutral. But I think that's Putin in his grand scheme would like to go to Odessa and then Odessa into Moldova, and then that puts them in a real that puts them right on the border of Romania, Romania, which yeah. is a NATO ally. I think that's an ultimate goal. But I think I honestly. John, I think he's got his hands full. I'm not sure he can get there. And that's the reason I made that second comment earlier about what's happened around Odessa because it's pushed, I any mean, naval amphibious forces out. I don't know if he can get there uh, without his forces being, uh, in, you know, truly, you know, reduced in size can capability. Right. You know, his, those were frontline units he used early on. He used his what we call the BDV, which is airborne spetsnats, uh, certain tank units, and they were pretty badly mauled. And they said they were about 30 percent combat efficiency. Well, when you go to 30 percent combat effectiveness and efficiency, you're basically combat ineffective. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I don't know if he's got the legs to get there. My concern, if this goes into a long term stalemate, he'll he'll gain capability and then he'll make might try again. I don't think this is going to be uh, end in the near term unless we can give Ukraine enough capability to have putin want to stop you know the the, john the big problem you got to look for is okay a lot of times wars will end because of diplomatic intervention i just don't see any interlocutor out there i got a couple of my brain but you know that i would throw at him um and and, but but it's almost like okay who's going to walk in there and talk to putin or is this just going to have to be a feat of arms to make him not do it anymore
0: yeah, it really is amazing. So you have two dynamics, right? You get the Biden administration leading from behind. You don't have the key negotiator. Who would you fill that gap? If you look across the horizon, all the different people that are available, is there someone, either American or Western, that could go in there and have a common-sense conversation with Putin?
1: Yeah, I think the first one I thought of was President Nenista of Finland because it's an unaligned country. He knows Putin. He's actually played hockey with Putin. He's somebody that's out there. Uh, he's friendly with the West. He's friendly. He knows Putin. Now here's, I'm going to throw one at you. And of course, probably maybe half of your viewers are going to drop out of their chair when I say this, but, <laughs> or, I mean, uh, your listeners are going to drop out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, what about Trump? You know, Trump's the art of the deal. He knows Putin. Uh, he could probably, uh, they won't do it by the way. I, I guarantee you that's yeah. not going to happen. But I said, there's somebody who basically understands negotiations because you want somebody in there who's willing to walk away. You know, Trump did that, John, under Kim Jong-un. He did. Yeah, when we were in Hanoi, when we didn't get what we wanted, and we we left. This isn't true. I mean, true. We left lunch on the table and just walked out the door. And, and Kim Jong-un was shocked by that. But the president's always said, unless we have a good deal, we're not going to have a deal. And he's willing to do that. If he did that with Kim Jong-un, he's probably willing to do that, that with anybody. Yep. So, so i said okay you put, put that one in there but other than those two I'm, i mean i'm looking around there and you think well what about macron macron's tried hasn't worked macron's yeah planned. really didn't have much you traction at all it didn't work yeah no you tried prime minister Bennett of israel that didn't work right and so it's going to have to be somebody or this is going to be again like i said a minute ago a feat of arms because you're not going to get good negotiation that's
0: right going forward yeah no it, it is a real challenge there has been speculation for about two or three months now that Putin is ill in some way. I've heard cancer, Parkinson's. Uh, there was some footage this weekend. You can't tell if it's propaganda or real. Um, do you think, the, what do you think of these intelligence reports or intelligence suggestions that maybe Vladimir Putin is facing the, uh, the real, realization of a, of a serious disease and it could be impacting his judgment?
1: You know I, I, you know, I one, I don't know, because obviously I'm not a medical doctor out right. there. But I, I will tell you, there's two comments that come to mind. And they could be because of the isolation from COVID and everything that's happened in the last two years. Right. But, you know, when I, I was on with the president, 18 different calls to Putin, uh, and his, his demeanor is not the same as it was. But that, I, that's reinforced by Nikki Haley, former U.N. Uh, ambassador, our UN ambassador, right? she said exactly the same thing. And then I heard Condoleezza Rice say the same thing. So now you got, you know, Trump, Condoleezza Rice, and Nikki Haley all saying he's not the same kind of guy that we were used to seeing a couple of years ago. So maybe the isolation did it. Maybe he is sick. Maybe there's something wrong, but he's also maybe in an in, in, in enormous pressure when he sees his grand, his grand scheme of basically returning the, the near abroad back to Russia is failing, especially in Ukraine, and he's living with that. And we all know the pressures of day to day. I can imagine the pressures he's facing right now, and and maybe the you know on pressures will do that to you. Maybe just the uh, this, this, you know, the stress is getting to him. I don't know, but uh, he's not the same guy that I remember seeing talking to the president or even the vice president uh, or anybody else. Uh, so maybe it is and uh what i would do with him john very honestly the way things are going i think i'd double up my bodyguards or have a food taste
0: yeah no it's it's um that is the bigger threat for him right that there could be an internal uh challenge to him uh as as this war drags on i mean russia has to be embarrassed by its performance thus far are you surprised at, at the performance of the russian military
1: yeah, I, I am, because, you know, you you basically go by reading and what's said about it. and They had a total reorganization plan, a modernization plan that they work at. And then, you know, he almost said, OK, I, I read it. And then I got into a little bit deeper because the guy who actually wrote that plan was a guy named Jura, Jura, Jurasimov, right. who's their current chairman. And I said, wait a second, this is actually a defensive doctrine because they did. They deconstructed their units back to what they called BTGs, and you hear that term, battalion tactical groups. And they were designed to fight almost independently, and they didn't do combined arms. They said, whoa. The more you looked at it and the more you really studied, it said, oh, wait a second. They haven't really done combined arms training. They haven't fought in major unit organizations. They showed that exactly when they went into Ukraine. They just fought by sheer numbers. They were overwhelmed the Ukrainians. I thought, ooh, they've got a bad, you know, their philosophy of how to fight is not an offensive-generated philosophy, and they don't understand combined arms. So originally I was surprised by it, and then I started digging really deep in it, and I said, oh, wait a second. Starting to make they, sense. Made, they got the wrong plan. You yeah. know, they, they put together the wrong strategy and the wrong plan, and they violated when they went in, John. To me, they violated probably every principle of war right. I learned immunity to mass uh to economy of force that they that was ever done in, when they went into ukraine so initially i was surprised after about a week and a half i said nope and the big thing they forgot is there's an old napoleonic axiom that the the moral to the physical is three is the one meaning never discount the fighting uh capability and the morale of an army and that's what napoleon meant and i there's an old saying i used to say is you know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight that counts. It's the size of the fight in
0: the dog. Yeah. Well, that's and what the Ukrainians have shown us. I mean, not yeah. only they shown us the size of the fight, I think they reminded all of us in America how important freedom is, that people are willing to die for it here. We take it for granted, so often. But I kind of think they've reinvigorated the love of freedom across this world by showing that. Are you surprised by the Ukrainian performance?
1: No, not at all. I, we are; They're a Western train. <clears throat> We've put a lot of, we meaning the West, the Brits, ourselves, Canadians uh, you know we put the California National Guard in a real hard training yep. with them for the last few years so they learned the Western way and they were very adaptable and they've shown they can do that so I, I, I wasn't surprised about the quality of how they fought what I think was pleasantly surprising is that what you just said is true they're fighting for something they're fighting for Ukrainian uh, independence and they're fighting hard for it. So I'm not necessarily surprised. I'm actually, I'd say I'm more, I'm pleased that they understand what freedom means. And they're fighting for that. And you're right. I, maybe it's a, it's a great message to all of us. The other one I will tell you is they've got a Churchillian leader. You know, when, uh, when he said right at the start, Zelensky said, I don't need a riot. I need ammunition. I said, okay, I'll have a beer with this guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, and no. He, he's And he stayed, stayed there and fought it out.
0: He is uh, risen beyond anyone's wildest dreams. You can see that uh, in a moment of need for his country, he has risen to the the challenge in ways that I think few people thought when they saw him running uh, for uh, president a few years back. Uh, I want to switch uh, venues just for a second. Obviously, Russia, Ukraine is so important. But China, I think, still continues to uh, antagonize and take advantage of this sort of moment of distraction to, uh, to solidify its... Um, Uh, its uh, military interests, particularly in the South China Sea. Uh, When I was with President Trump about a month ago, three weeks ago, we had an interesting uh, conversation about the need maybe for a NATO for the Pacific, sort of creating, building on the great work you guys did uh, by building some alliances there and maybe developing that out. Do you think we're at that point that China's aggression is so uh, overt that it needs a NATO-type doctrine?
1: yeah it, it, we need something like that john and look uh, i've always said and for the last 20 years i've been saying this that china is the emergent threat you know i i, I actually I, I got a pretty bad gift from the vermont national guard when i said you know russia's sort of like uh, Vermont with not nuclear weapons and vermont got mad at me i had to laugh about it but it was true it's it's the big threat shouldn't be russia even though they got more nuclear weapons than than china has by a few thousand but China is an emergent threat, both diplomatically, both military and economically. And we need to be aware of that It's a, because we are and we have been a, a Pacific nation. Uh, we've been fortunately, uh, you know, banked by two oceans, you know, would protect us pretty well. But we need to look at there because of their encroachment uh, into the Pacific. It sort of like reminds me of what Japan was doing in, in the late 30s. And I think we're finally we tried to get Japan. Uh, you know, and change their constitution to have a much more robust military. You know, we're, we used to have a defense treaty with with Taiwan. We don't. That ended in 1980. Uh, we need to get the Philippines on board. I, we, I know we've got North Vietnam supporting this, uh, and it, because their natural enemy happens to be the Chinese. But I think everybody needs to understand that, and the Australians clearly do, uh, and they're in support of us as well. So I think we need to think hard about pulling everybody together. We haven't done that yet and focus in on China. But China economically carries such important weight. We have to wean them off that as well. And and it's going to take time to do that, but there's got to be a focus on it. Every time I turn around, we keep being drugged back into Europe or the Middle East. And and we can't seem to break it. I was hoping after Afghanistan we would break it hard and, and move towards China. Then this erupted. Now we're back looking at, you know, talking about NATO and talking about Europe. But the real emergent threat to our existence, I
0: believe, is China, and we need to combat that. Yeah, and it does seem like we get distracted all the time, and uh, China's patient. So they're they're moving while we're distracted. It's such a a remarkable thing. As you look out right now, obviously, uh, the Trump doctrine is the conservative doctrine. It's hard to articulate a Biden uh, doctrine other than leading from behind or leading sheepishly. Um, do you think heading into the 2024 election the conservatives have a modern national security policy one worthy of the reagan doctrine uh do you think the trump doctrine has advanced far enough on foreign policy national security to really create an alternative to the biden democratic uh, approach
1: yeah you, john, john i do and it's yeah frankly it's we're uh, the organization i'm with called america first policy institute put that together and and we're actually bre- reaching out to congress and and people that are running in 2022 as well to put it together to get everybody really thinking about it because i think we've got a good solid strategy in america first you know america first is not an isolation strategy it's not with strength at all but here's something to remember just to to go back a quick second you know one thing we did in the trump administration you know we had our national security strategy out within the first year which you're required to have by law you know the the Biden administration still does not have a published national security strategy they have an interim national security strategy But they don't have one published out there, and they don't plan one having out, you know, within the next few months. That'll be yeah. almost two years, so there isn't one. So we wanted to put one together. We are in the process of doing. I'm I'm one of the people doing it to make sure that it's out there by the time we have the 2022 election. Everybody sees it, and then we're going to run hard on it with it
0: on 2024 yeah it's so important uh for folks who want to get your incredible book because it, it is I, I think one of the most uh, not only insightful views of the uh, the evolution of the trump administration and its national security policy uh it, it kind of gives a sense of where the world is headed i think a lot of people don't understand the chessboard that we're we're having to play every day how do folks uh, get uh, get a copy of your book and then also how do they stay in touch with the work you're doing with the american first policy institute
1: yeah, the, the thing to do is uh, they go to Amazon.com or, yeah. uh, or Barnes and Noble. Those are one of the two places to order the book. And thank you for mentioning it. And the other one is you, you can go online and find the America First Policy Institute (AFPI). We just came out of a real good planning summit down in, in Georgia, and just look at AFPI, and you'll kind of sense, oh, who, that's who these guys are. We have been said we're a, a shadow government, a Trump you know previous shadow Trump government, or one to the future. Right. But just take a look at it. Take a look at AFPI. We're both on Twitter and we're also both online and look at that and then make a decision on where you wanna go and I think you'll be pleased with what you see. Yeah,
0: it's an amazing book. I've read it cover to cover a couple times now and every time I'm reminded of two things. One is American appeasement policy has never worked. It hasn't worked for Europe and it never works for the United States. Peace through strength is clearly the the most important uh, principle that America has always succeeded at and right now I don't think we're executing that policy very well. It's pretty pretty amazing to see. You know? No, I think you're right. Thanks, John. General, it's an that. honor to have you on, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, John. i any time. All right, folks, we are to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the lawyer for a Major League Baseball scout who has been fired for refusing to get a COVID-19 vaccine because he had a religious exemption. That Major League Baseball scout's name is Benny Gallo. His lawyer, Rachel Rodriguez, will be here right after the commercial break. and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. You probably saw this story last week on Just the News. Uh, a scout uh, working for the Washington Nationals sued. Uh, Because he was denied his job because he didn't get a vaccine, even though he had uh, an appeal for a religious exemption. His faith uh, was at the heart of this appeal. And now there is a lawsuit that's going to be historic. I think we're lucky enough to have the lawyer that's in the lead in that position. Rachel Rodriguez is local counsel for the Thomas Moore Society, who has gone to the uh, aid and legal defense of Benny Gallo. And she's joining us right now. Rachel, great to have you on the show.
3: Good morning, John. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here.
0: It really is an amazing case. I, I um, you know, I started my career as a sports writer. I've covered baseball a long time. I never thought in my lifetime I would see a vaccine mandate for a baseball team or a, a First Amendment uh, lawsuit uh, involving uh, the vaccine mandate in Major League Baseball. But we are at that moment. Tell us a little bit about what led to the suit.
3: Absolutely. Well, this is interesting. You mentioned uh, the vaccine mandate for the team. One thing that is is just really confusing here, I guess, in terms of the, the, the reasoning on the part of the Washington Nationals is they did institute a vaccine mandate, but it was not applied exactly the same to all individuals that are employed. Uh, in fact, those who were unionized, the mandate was it wasn't a mandate yeah. uh, there's an optional uh we you know strongly encourage you to get this but uh you know that they weren't putting the the sort of as they call it vaccinator terminate on the right. table um but you know it, it was in in late summer uh getting into the fall of last year when this mandate came down very quickly the deadline the the, the turnaround time for individuals who were subject to it according to the Washington Nationals um announcement, uh, was within, we're talking a couple of weeks to show first, uh, first shot for the, the two dose versions. And then of course, uh, the, the one shot for the one, uh, one dose version of the COVID-19 vaccinations. And so any individual who was trying to contemplate what to do here, they had a very short period of time. Um, my client, uh, already knew how he was going to approach something like this. Um, his, his convictions are very strong. And, uh, and, and and he's been very consistent. Mr. Gallo is very consistent in this now. Um, he is a scout. So according to the Washington Nationals, um, in his position, he would be subject to the mandate. Um, he, he entered his request for religious exemption um, on the basis that um, there, there are several factors for, for him as far as his beliefs. Um, one, of course, is uh, that... He believes that his body is, is uh, as we say in the scripture, a temple, meaning that he needs to be very careful about um, how he treats his body, and uh, he, he's very concerned about health and his nutrition and so forth. And so he contemplates anything, any medical procedure, anything, any medicines uh, that would fall under the category of what you're putting into your body or on your body that would affect your health. Um, and additionally, um, the, it, it's, it's understood now that all of the COVID-19 vaccinations at some point in their development or testing uh, do implicate the use of uh, aborted fetal cells. And so that's a concern for many people of faith, including sure. my client. So in any event, he, he entered his religious exemption immediately. And then there was this, a short process. Um, well, I don't even want to say it was a process. That's part of the problem. There was a short period of time going back and forth with HR, um, with uh, well, it was predominantly with counsel and HR for Washington Nationals, and his his exemption was denied. He was asked, in my opinion, um, very invasive questions that he should not have been uh, asked with regard to a religious exemption under Title VII protections. Um, and uh, you know, and and he was denied. And so, as a result of that, um, he was subject to termination. Um before that, and this is I think this is going to be very interesting for your audience, um, because I, I think this is this is a serious issue. There were punitive, in my opinion, punitive um actions, adverse actions taken um against my client and I understand against others who were who were um you know, who didn't comply, right? right? And one of those is is a, a leave, you know, so you weren't terminated immediately. You would be given a two-week period, roughly, without any pay before your final termination. And, and you know, my question is, what, what is the purpose of that? Yeah. How does that, what is the nexus there, right, between public health and a concern for everybody's safety, uh, you know, with regard to a highly infectious disease and your pay? You know, that, that's a very strange thing. So during that period of time, however, uh, Mr. Gallo uh, had, had retained counsel um, Chuck Lamandry in, in California, also with Thomas More Society, and um, and he had he had basically, uh, I guess you could say, appealed asking for reconsideration, um, lengthy analysis for the Washington Nationals regarding how this was an unlawful action that they were that they were taking. They were in the middle of taking this unlawful action, and that that would be it would be subject to liability for it. Um, unfortunately, uh, that was of no avail, including. Uh, requesting on his behalf uh, at that point in that interim period, a medical exemption, which including under the CDC guidelines, even a temporary uh, medical exemption uh, would be available for those who had prior COVID infection. And this was proven, you know, prior COVID infection through the antibody test and so forth. All of it denied. It was just, you know, it it would look like you're gunning for a termination and you're going to get there no matter what. Um, and so, unfortunately, at the, the the time frame that they indicated, uh, you would be terminated. You know, Mr. Gallo was terminated. Um, I, I don't want to. I, I know you have other questions. One one other thing I did want to say about that, though, is just bizarre. At this point, is we're not even well. We're we're roughly around six months out, and now MLB has no mandate, as far as we understand it, across the board. Certainly, the Washington Nationals is not not enforcing anything. Um, you know, the schools, the universities, and the high schools where uh, Mr. Gallo would have been doing his job as as a scout, um, there's effectively, as far as we can tell, um, there there are no uh, restrictions in place. There's no right. questions about whether you're vaccinated or nope. not. Uh, there's no masking. It, it's everything you know, and, and and everything disappeared except for the termination for somebody um. who had a sincere religious belief and complied with all of the appropriate law uh, legal actions in order to request an exemption.
0: Yeah, it is such an important thing to remind people that because we've come a long way in six months, and yet this man lost his job. He lost That's his right. livelihood. If I understand correctly, he also lost an elected position as the vice president of Southern California Scouts Association. So That's basically, right. all the elements of his career were destroyed for something now that we're not even enforcing. Is that right?
3: I think that's, a, that's an, an accurate way to state it. And, you know, the question is, will, because of the nature in which he was terminated, um, has that now curtailed his opportunities to work with anyone else in the MLB under different circumstances? Um, you know, th- this this has effectively shut down his career and he's had a long, distinguished career yeah. in baseball. So, you know, this, this is this is I, I'm going to say it, it, it's quite cruel. Um, and and certainly seems to go far beyond any consideration uh, that might be stated for public health or, um, you know, or safety in the workplace.
0: Yeah. When you look at, or when we look at this, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a discrimination lawsuit. He was treated differently than other employees in the same organization. And because he had a uh, religious objection to the um, to the vaccine, he therefore was discriminated. How does this differ, let's say, from the uh, lawsuits that were p- uh, filed last year by two of the pitching coaches at the Nationals, uh, Lawrence Pardo and Brad Holman?
3: Right. Thank you, uh, John. That's a that's a really interesting case. I've been I've been paying attention to that. Now, um, in in their circumstance, first of all, there's a little bit of difference. Obviously, you've got uh, coaches in a different position, uh, and and of course, Mr. Gallo is a scout. Um, so to the extent that there is some distinction there, I'm being interested to see what the Washington Nationals have yeah. you know, have to say as far as meeting their burden, that issuing a religious exemption to my client would have been an undue hardship for them. Um, now, one thing that is different in our case, as far as the claims involved, we, uh, we have also sued under D.C. law, civil rights law. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of similarities there to the right. federal law, and also... Um, we are um, we are suing under the ADA, um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. It is unlawful for an employer to perceive you as disabled and discriminate against you on that basis. That's something that is in play in this case. Uh, why, you know, what what is the basis for treating somebody as though they are anathema, as though they cannot? Be around other individuals, you know the the language uh, that was that was used in telling him that you know an exemption would not be available, right. you know, is a, a a a danger to yourself and others. You know, it, it, this is this is, you know, what is what is the basis there that that uh, lines up I think pretty clearly in saying that there is some sort of perception of disability that that it is. That it is impossible, right? It, I mean, that there's some there's some inability to uh, to engage in the functions, the job functions, you know, that Mr. Gallo had to complete, and and that would fall under a perception of disability. And then, of course, he's fired on the basis, well, you you know, we can't accommodate that, so we're you know, that's it. Uh, you know, you can't perform the job. That's it. Now, maybe those things have not been stated in exactly those words, but that is somewhat of a novel. Uh, approach. Uh, this is something that we're seeing in COVID-19 vaccination mandate facts um, in, in various cases, also in this one. Um, and I think there are some other cases out there that are addressing this. Um, but I think it's a very valid question. I want to see the, Na- the Washington Nationals uh, address that. You know, why why is this being treated this way?
0: Yeah, such an important question I think we all want to answer before, uh, before this baseball season ends. What's the next step uh, here for your client? Where does this go next? It's in federal court, right?
3: That's right. Um, so, you know, we're going to go through the, the, the general procedure of uh, litigation in federal court. The next step is going to be a response from the defendant, the Washington Nationals. And, you know, I, I certainly uh, am looking forward to seeing what they what they have to say. And then, of course, this goes through the process of what's called discovery, Right. Uh, you know you're asking for a particular documentation uh you complete interviews shall we say on the record uh, which are called depositions other fact finding that's going to happen uh and then we proceed from there so yeah i think you know we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens uh we should have some updates probably in the uh in the coming months
0: yeah so very important stuff to be watching for those who want to get involved or to support uh, the Thomas More Society or to follow what you're doing, uh, Rachel, what's the best way to stay on top of this?
3: Well, uh, certainly the Thomas More Society is going to keep tabs on this and be providing updates. Um, I certainly encourage everyone to go to their website uh, and, and check them out. Um, absolutely. They're doing excellent work um, with regard to various uh, matters in litigation right now. Obviously, as you know, John, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure, let me put it that way, on um, on freedom of religion oh, uh, sure. in, in various sectors. And they've been they've been very consistent, staunch allies in in putting up the, uh, the litigation to address those issues and push back. So I certainly recommend that. And uh, additionally, well, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them and make sure. Uh, I can get back to uh, your program as well with any other uh, ways in which people, your audience, can can keep up with the case.
0: Uh, That's awesome. It's such an important one. We're all watching it, and um, it it is baseball, but it's much bigger than baseball. It's about faith. It's about freedom. It's about being treated equal under the law, and um, I think the eyes of the world are watching closely. Rachel, so glad to have you on the show today. Really, thank you for bringing us up to speed on this very important case.
3: Well, it's my pleasure, John. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's great great conversation. We'll have to have you back soon because I'm sure there'll be important developments.
3: Absolutely. I'll keep you posted. Thank All you. All right,
0: sounds good. All, All right. right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day.
2: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: All right folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So glad you can join us. Really appreciate all you're doing to support our podcast, our television show all that we're doing we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of john solomon reports the podcast from just the news and until then you can check out just the news.com 24 7 for breaking news and all of the exclusives that we'd like to give you in our reporting remember to use that dig in tab we're not arrogant enough to believe we should take our word for it we show you our notebook we show you all the supporting materials in the dig in tab for every story that's our commitment to you our transparency to you and i hope you enjoy that all right, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Until then, may God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite.
2: Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the Dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators experts politicians and many influential figures from both the united states and around the world so why not make your mondays wednesdays and fridays a little more interesting tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with amanda head on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite shows and don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes i can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey